Welcome to the CRE Shark Eye Show, where we discuss commercial real estate. This is your host, Ishai Breslauer. Here we meet every Monday to talk commercial real estate and prop tech. We will dive deep into the different asset classes, discuss the market, talk about the new and exciting technologies, meet key people in the industry, and get some inspiration. Let's begin. Hey guys, before we start, I just want to point out the six best secrets for commercial real estate. It's a free download. Go to the text side and you will find it. It has absolutely great information, completely free, how to become a landlord, how to determine the value of a property, or creative financing for commercial real estate. All of it is completely free. Go download it. Also, I want to point out my CRE crash course. It's a two-week must-have program with a must-have skills for commercial real estate, like investment strategies, the must-have financial terms, how a deal is done. Go take a look at it. Go to the text side and click on the link. And now let's continue with our program. Hey, guys. How are you? This is Ishai Breslauer, your host of the CRE Shark Eye Show. Today, we're talking Texas, and I can't be more excited. Can't be more excited. We have Conrad Madsen with us. And Conrad Madsen is entrepreneur who deals with industrial real estate for years and years and years. And we're today talking about his experience and the Texas market. And I can't wait for this conversation. Conrad, thank you for being with us. I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate you having me. It means a lot you reaching out and wanting to get on your podcast. You know, I'm a guy who's built a lot of my empire through the power of social media and podcasts. And so I'm a huge believer in it and I'm happy to be on the show. That's amazing. Um, That's yeah, amazing. It's truly, honestly, social media has changed my life in the last two it's years. It's unbelievable how much impact social media made and changed the world. And so many people, and we're going to talk about it later, but uh, you know, uh, the change of technology, how it impacted yes. real estate you know, in total and all the industries, but particularly real estate. Uh, you know, but before we start digging into the story, if you could tell us, give us like a two minute elevator pitch of what your business is about. So everybody can understand what you guys do. Sure. So, uh, been in the business, this is my 21st year in commercial real estate. Um, I've always been hyper-focused, you know, Dallas Fort Worth is a large market. And so you have to, focus on a particular asset class or submarket or product type or what have you. And I've always been hyper-focused on industrial real estate. And so that's been the main portion of my, my career for the last, you know, 21 years. The last, you know, five has been, you know, building a successful brokerage company with, with other brokers here at the, at, at the company. Uh, I've probably spent the last five years assembling land sites for a lot of the large institutional players in town, you know, the Prologises, the Clarions, the Nubines. Um, and in the last year or so, we've, we've entered into the development game, launched a development division, um, have our first few sites under contract as we speak here in the DFW market. But we're also looking in selective markets all across the United States right now. There's probably about 15 cities we're targeting, mainly through the Sunbelt states and within Texas to launch, you know, additional industrial uh, speculative development. Um, so if, you know, anybody out there has, you know, great industrial real estate sites, land sites, or even land, uh, redevelopment plays, 
within uh, you know big markets um, and on infill type sites, we'd, we'd love to chat with you. So, uh, and a little bit more about Paladin Partners is, um, you know, we're, we're a little different in that, you know, we, we launched a get back platform into our business plan about two years ago. And so a portion of every single deal that we earn goes back to our foundation, which then in turn, you know, affects, um, we support organizations that help children, homelessness, cancer, and the United States veterans. So, wow. Um, that gives know, us a lot to talk about. That gives us yeah. a lot to talk about. And I'm excited yeah. about this. You know what? Let's, we're going to get to talk about so many things. Um, how do you get into this whole game? Meaning, I'm t- yeah. telling. Meaning, we're we're pretty much the same age, so you know we have to look right. like back, you know, right. and uh, tell us how it all started. That's a that's a great question because you know, as you know, commercial real estate is a very, I would say, ancestral business, right? I mean, it's just it's a tight knit community, and a lot of it is you knowing other people or networking with people to get into this business. You know, there's not. I don't, you, you don't go out to the job boards and there's just a bunch of real estate broker positions available or, you know, things of that nature. Right. And so, you know, entry into this business is not easy. And especially from a brokerage perspective, as you know, you know, it's typically a hundred percent commission type deal, you know? So a lot of the people who get in the business typically are younger, have lower overhead, you know, so that they can survive or they live at home or what have you. Um, I'm not from Dallas, Fort Worth. I'm from a tiny, tiny town in deep South Texas. I grew up five miles from the Mexican border. Wow. And, and I really didn't have any connections, you know, in DFW. And, and, um, luckily I, uh, I lived in an apartment complex 25 years ago that shared, uh, a gym with an office building and luckily in that office building was Roger Staubach's corporate headquarters. And so the Staubach company was based in that building. And I started to get to know some of the brokers who were at the gym every day. Cause I was, you know, in my early twenties and a lot thinner than I am today. And I was, and you know, some, I took, I, I finally asked one of the guys to lunch. He took me up to Stallback's headquarters and me being a kid who was a, a Dallas Cowboy fan and from Tom Landry's hometown, you know, like that was, that was the, the pinnacle for me. Like I, I, I couldn't believe I was even in Roger Stallback's headquarters, you know, because he was such an icon in, in Texas and, and football and, and all those other things. And so, but Stallback didn't have an opportunity for me, but there was a gentleman there, a gentleman by the name of Tom McCarthy, who's still a broker at JLL to this day. Um, and Tom actually gave me time and he gave me guidance, you know, of, hey, don't go to these firms, go to these, these will invest in you. You know, you can use my name if you want. And, and you know, and so I started just, I just picked up the phone and I started calling, you know, principals at different commercial real estate firms in, in Texas and I met with enough of them and that's how I broke in. But, um, it, it, you know, a lot of it is, is just getting out there and talking to people and, and finding your way. And, you know, somebody gave me time, you know, 21, 22 years ago. And like this morning for breakfast, I met a young man who's a freshman in college and he's been following me on LinkedIn for two years and he always comments and, 
He wanted to Amazing. have coffee. With, he wanted to have coffee with me, and you know, I I said, man, I'd love to, you know, because somebody gave me time twenty years ago. I always give young people time, you know, on my calendar because. You know what? That's that's amazing because I hope because the listeners, people who listen to me, some of right. them are professionals, are some of them are really high professionals, high caliber professionals, right. and some of them are all the way, and it doesn't matter what. Some landlords, owners, right. it could be CEOs. Some of them are brokers, top brokers, appraisers, sure. architects. Doesn't matter, and some that's of them are true. beginners. And I hope that you guys that are beginners are listening to this, how this guy met Conrad. He made comments on LinkedIn. He, he was there. He was, he was present. And finally, he had a coffee with a guy who owns a company, and he got top tips and top inspiration from a person, and that's the way to do it. Uh, you know what? From that point, you obviously went forward uh, did the, the first deal you were involved in, whether it's a broker or whatever, was in that town in Texas or was it in Dallas already? Oh, yeah, it was here, it was here in Dallas, Fort Worth. You know, I mean, uh, so, you know, when I first got started, you know, Dallas now has about a billion square feet of industrial inventory here in DFW. Wow. We, just, we just went over a billion. When I got in the business, I want to say it was about 600 to 650 million 20 years ago. So we've almost not quite doubled, but, you know, in 20 years, we've added 40% more uh, to the market. But, um, you know, you have to specialize in a particular submarket because there's no way you can digest a market that large when you're beginning it, it, out in the business. And so I, I focused on a particular area of town and then I focused on a particular asset class and that was industrial. And so, you know, I got out there, I, you know, I, I came from nothing, you know, I didn't come from a silver spoon background. I didn't have a big trust fund sitting there. I had to get after it, you know, and I put 6,000 contacts in my database in the first year. And, you know, through my hard work and hustle, you know, I made six figures 20, 21 years ago, my first year, because I just got after it. I had, I had no other option. It was either succeed or fail. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't about to fail. You know, and, uh, and and so I just I, I went out there and knocked on a lot of doors. And just like I tell the young guys today that are in the business, if, if you're persistent, you're going to win, regardless of whatever industry you are in life. You know, but if you get after it and you turn over enough rocks, you're going to find a diamond out there. Conrad, tell me something. What gets a guy who gets into real estate out of connecting with people from an office right next to a gym and finally find himself in Dallas and comes from literally nothing like you said and builds whatever you, you, you have built and chooses industrial as an asset class to go after. Why am I asking this? Because most people who are listening and looking at this are saying to themselves, listen, the most obvious thing to go in the beginning is multifamily. Everybody says multifamily. And then if, if they wanted commercial, okay? Right. And then the next thing would be office, maybe retail. Industrial is like the, one of the farthest things. Sure. What got you into industrial? What, what's the, I mean, what, you know, it's, what it's was the first time you heard about it and, and got into yeah. it? Well, there, there was a couple things. And, and uh, one, you know, when I got 
got in the business, everybody told me I would never make any money because I was an industry. You know, it's cheap rents and right. leases that may be shorter. And so, you know, as, as commercial real estate brokers, you're paid on the value of the lease. And so there's smaller deals. There's no two ways around it. But the, but, you know, me coming from a small town in Texas, okay, mm-hmm. and not having any connections here in Dallas-Fort Worth, that those the areas of retail and office were so much more of a networking type area. You know, you came, you, you had buddies that you grew up with that are now CFOs of companies or managing partners or whatever. And, 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 and so I didn't have those connections. And when I got out there and I started, you know, talking to industrial users, the people, because I'm a small town guy, are they're just more they're more like me right receptive yeah that's right and 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 so it just fit me more you know and the company i went to work for was trying to grow they had a ton of office brokers already and they were trying to grow an industrial platform so so they were kind of encouraged me to go that way and for me being a guy that wasn't from dallas not a blue blood, you know, that came from a big trust fund or went to a private school or any of those things, industrial just fit me better. And that's, you know, the, the avenue I went down and, and, you know, 20 years ago, people were laughing at me. And, you know, now, as I mentioned to you before the show got started, you know, the ugly ducklings turned into the white swan in the last decade. That's amazing. You know, probably the most desired asset class in the world right now. You know, what takes me to the next step. What was the first deal? And how did that come about? You know, I'm trying to remember it because when I was, when I got in my first year, I think I did like 35 deals. So they, they, I wow. literally was doing anything from, I think my smallest deals were like 1500 square feet. I laugh because I'm like 1500 square feet is like the size of some people's garages. Right. But to me, that was money to be, you know, there was a commission at stake and whether or not it was only a thousand dollars or $1,500 or whatever, you know, um, it was money that was going to pay my rent and my car payment and, you know, might buy a cocktail for the girl at the bar at the end of the week, you know, (laughs) (laughs) serve the purpose. That's right. That's right. So man, there, you know, there wasn't, when, when I look back on my career, it took me about, five years of what I thought, you know, where I, where I, I'd landed my first, what I would call big deal, which was a 400,000 square foot deal. And that catapulted me into the category of now I can really go chase and win any sort of business because now I have, you know, this big, big deal on my resume, you know, now I don't just have to chase little bitty deals I can go out and chase bigger ones. And so I always encourage everyone, listen, you got to start somewhere. But if you want to just, if you want to do small deals your entire career and that's your goal, that's fine. But if you want to grow something, you got to continue to look bigger every single year and, you know, go from a 5,000 square foot deal to 10 to, to 20 to 50 to 100 to 200 to 500, you know, and now the largest deal I've done is, you know, over 1.5 million square feet on a single deal. You know, so, so you just have to continue growing. And, and to me, that's, I've just always had that belief in life of like, don't ever be satisfied and continue growing and getting better. That's a beautiful mindset. 
Um, when was the point where you said, I'm starting my own thing? That's a good question. And I, I tell, I tell people all the time, I should, probably should have done it. I probably should have done it five to 10 years early, you know, I, uh, but everything happens for a reason and God has a right. plan for everyone, you know? And, but I, I just felt like there was probably a better mousetrap out there, you know, and a better, better, you know, I wanted to do more. I wanted to have more flexibility and, you know, sometimes I spent a lot of time at, at two larger, you know, national firms. And sometimes in those firms, you get real pigeonholed. You, you got to stay within your lane, you know, and me as an entrepreneurial type guy, I was like, man, I want to, I want to, I want to do investment deals. I want to, I want to, I want to be able to chase both landlord and tenant rep. You know, I want to have the flexibility to do developments or invest, you know? And, and, and so to me, um, I, I think I always knew that, that, that I, I'd go out on my own. I wish I would have done it sooner, but, um, it's been the best decision I've ever made. You know, I mean, I, I looking back, I, I, I'm, I'm so happy that, you know, we went out and started our own firm and, and doing great things, you know, not only oh. in real estate, but, you know, also for our communities through our get back platform. That's amazing. Tell me something, the first deal, And you said that you went from obviously being a broker who brokers deals from, from one end, both sides, all sides, and yep. then you went to start investing your own deals. Can you yep. tell us about the first deal and what was the experience, how you felt the difference between being a broker to deals and then boom, it's my deal and wow, because everybody's talking about that. It's All brokers are talking about that. It's completely different, right? Yes. When you're... When your money is on the line, it's a totally different game. And so now I always ask brokers when I'm asking them about opportunities, hey, would you put your own money into this? Right? Yeah. And so if, if they say, if they're willing to invest alongside us, which I'm always open to because to me that's how, that's how you're going to get deals brought to you. Right? right. But if they're willing to invest their money alongside with you as the investor, then you know that this is a great deal. And so, yes, it's, it's completely different. Um, you, you look at it like you've looked at it from the other side. I mean, it's interesting wearing both hats, you know, but I, I, I say this statement all the time and I tell young people this, there's a lot of rich brokers in this business. There's no doubt about it, but there's very few wealthy ones. Where is the wealth? in commercial real estate. And you and I both know that answer. It's on the ownership side. Yes. Right? The, guys, the guys who truly have wealth, who have, you know, the yachts and the jets and the, and, and the house in Miami and all those other things, they're the guys who are developing or owning projects, you know? And, and so as a broker, I think, I think I wouldn't change anything. Like brokerage got me into this business And, and that was my path. A lot of guys might start out as an analyst or work for a private equity company or whatever the case may be. Right? Attorneys. Yeah. All kinds. Attorneys, yeah. Whatever. But, but for me, brokerage gave me the opportunity to generate enough money to then go and take it and invest it. And then that, those investments has been, as you know, 
if you if you invest properly in commercial yeah. real estate, the returns are ridiculous. And so, um, you know, I tell I tell everybody, you know, start investing in and, and, and focus on what you know, right? Like I'm an industrial guy, so that's what I'm going to focus on investing in. Now, if somebody brought me a retail deal or a multifamily deal or something, yeah, I mean, if the story makes sense, I'll, I'll look at it. But as a broker and, and, and being out there, you should you should invest in the projects that you understand. You know, I think that's where a lot of people lose sometimes is they get out of their comfort zone or they invest in markets or cities they don't know, right? And, and exactly. that's where they can sometimes get burned, you know? So, so that's the so challenge of expansion, right? Yeah. Which, which is yeah. a whole different deal, which is yep. maybe where you are right now. But um, what I want to ask you right now is, and, and to start getting into details on the industrial side, we started talking about it before we started yeah. recording. Um, when you started getting into this whole industrial game, it was a whole different market. It was smaller yep. deals. It was smaller leases, shorter leases, Yep. Different, different environment. Yes. And all of a sudden, the e-commerce world comes and Amazon yep. comes along. And I'm, I know I'm throwing a lot right now, but I want to start this conversation going. Sure. Um, before we get into the, to dice it, like to, to get into the details of it, I just yep. want to ask you, of, of, when did you start feeling, oh my gosh, my little pond is becoming the ocean? Right, right. I would say, you know, the last five years in Dallas-Fort Worth have just been unheard of, you know, and, 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 and the explosion, you know, as I mentioned to you earlier, e-commerce has clearly changed the world, you know, I mean, and when you think about that, and I just wrote an article for a, a Texas-based real estate magazine, but e-commerce still only accounts for 14% of total retail sales. Isn't that unbelievable? I mean, think about that yeah. for a second. E-commerce is only 14%. Now, it's never going to go to 100%. But look how much more it still can grow, right? So I, I think when when you factor in now that kids, and you know this because you have teenage kids, as, as we learned you know, before, these kids now have spent their entire lives on iPhones and buying online. Right? Yeah. That's the world they live in. They don't go to stores anymore. You don't go to the, the mall. I mean, you might to hang out, but like the majority of kids are just, everything is on that, that iPhone. And, and so e-commerce is going to continue to grow. Um, but what's interesting, this is a factoid that, that is really interesting right now that, I believe is is even driving industrial even further in the United States right now, and Texas specifically, is manufacturing is truly coming back to the states from China and the Far East, and if it's if it's cheaper goods, it's going to Mexico. Right now, RFPs in Mexico for manufacturing space are up three hundred percent year over year. Wow. So. So think about that. So, so not only, and, and I meet with some of these economic development corporations around DFW and two, three years ago, out of the top 10 deals they're chasing, eight or nine of them are logistics in nature, you know, just distribution centers, which are great. But 
Now, eight or nine of those 10 are manufacturing in nature. So those, that, that's what these towns love even more is you get, you get a lot more job creation. And then now we're making these products back in America again, you know, and, and there's a, there's a couple of reasons why this has happened is obviously. I was about to ask you why. Why is it happening? The supply chain interruption, you know, there, there, there's a couple things. Donald Trump and, and, and everybody knows that I support mainly capitalism and, you know, uh, the values of the Republican side, right? That's why Texas is doing so great right now. I'm so, I'm, I'm, I mean, my show, I'm starting to, to, me, myself, I'm trying to be apolitical. I'll, I'll tell you, right. after the show, I'll talk to you more about politics. Sure, sure. But I but No, no, for you. But I, I hear you. Yes, yes. You, I, you know, you. I mean, you look at what states in the United States that are being run and are thriving versus the others, and you don't need to look any further than, than what type of politics are being run in those states. It's simple as that. So, but you look at the supply chain interruption from China, and it's taking longer to get the product across the ocean. Then now it's sitting out in the port of LA for up over 90 days, right? Yeah. Which is causing shortages, you know, uh, to, to get products to your customers. So when Trump came into office and the whole let's make America great again deal, came in and let's incentivize businesses to move back to the states. As you know, it does not take, it takes corporate, corporate America or whatever, you know, the fortune 500, it takes them a long time to make decisions, especially when you're talking about picking up and moving a manufacturing facility from somewhere in the far East and all the millions of dollars that cost and moving it back to the States. Well, when you couple that with the supply chain interruption that's happened because of COVID, now it's been it's been accelerated tenfold. And so now the the the, the higher price goods are coming back to the states. The lower price goods are now going to go to Mexico because when you factor in the cost of logistics from China and the rising labor uh, pricing in China over the last ten years, they've had a lot of prosperity. Mexico is now on the same same level as China. Plus, within a day's truck drive from a Texas border uh, set town, that product can be in your distribution center in Dallas-Fort Worth and then on to your final customer within a day versus sitting on a boat for three months and then sitting out in the port for another 90 days, right? Pure, so pure, te- pure in, technical advantage. Beautiful. I yeah, hear you. So you factor in e-commerce, which is obviously exploding industrial, and now you're truly seeing a trend of manufacturing moving back to the States. In Mexico, I mean, it's just, it's all aligning, right? I mean, the stars are aligning right now. This is beautiful. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. And you start talking about development beforehand. Yep. And you know what? Development is a very, very, very interesting animal. Why? Um, you know, I just heard lately, um, who was that from Blackstone? One of the presidents over there. I forgot, I forgot the name. John, forgot the name. I'm going to write it down probably in the comments. Blackstone. Yeah, sure. Blackstone. Yeah. Blackstone came out and said it. The president of Blackstone. Um, and he said something very, very unique. He said that they are particularly not going after development. And, and I was involved in development, so I, I love development. Right. But I'm saying they said a very interesting thing, that they're not, so, meaning they do development, they do that, sure. but they're not keen to go, like it's not their first priority. And they said, he said something very smart. He said, 
when you're going into development, you're going into something that will be done in a year, two, three, sometimes more. Right. You don't know what will happen in three years. So you're going into something where your predictions, if you are a conservative, you're doing it according to the market right now, and yep. you're taking some hurdles like you're putting all kind of uh, contingencies, you know, to see what will happen. And okay, but you are going into it with the gut feeling that things will go better in that area, meaning there's expansion, there's something going on. Okay, but you don't know that, and that's the risk. Yep. Everything, when you, talk, when you talk about development and you talk about condo development, which I was involved in, and I understand right. that. Yep. Or office development. It's very nice. Yep. But when you're talking about industrial development, yep. can you please enlighten us and tell us how the process is? And when you go into such a project, what do you have to look for in order to see that this is something feasible for you and your investors to go and nail it? Sure. Well, and that's why I think, you know, having a background of being in brokerage for 20 some odd years, I know what a good site looks like, right? You know, and, 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 and what's been interesting, and, and I'll tell you how ferocious Dallas-Fort Worth is right now. Five years ago, you might have had 20 active developers here in the city, okay? It's chasing industrial. Now there's over a hundred. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and a lot of them are guys in the retail and the office sectors who have never done industrial, but they have so much capital that has to be placed. So they're chasing industrial now, you know, uh, because nobody's developing office and retail today. You know, it's kind of on pause with, with, uh, you know, the shrinking retail world. Right. And then also, That's quite you know, the, and and the fact that you know we still got this work from home stuff uh, to some degree, so um, so so you know understanding what a good site looks like from you know is it in the right area? What's the access look like from the highway? Is it in a floodplain? You know you got to know all the civil stuff as well. And luckily we have some pretty good civil consultants. You know not only on staff but that that we work with. And, um, and what, what product, because we've done so much tenant rep and landlord rep, like what product works in, in certain areas? Like I'll give you an example, like South Dallas, you, if you're going to build down there, you, you need to build a 500,000 to a million square foot building. That's what the market, that's what is desired down there. You wouldn't build a 200,000 square foot, you know, front park, rear load, higher office finish building down there. But if you're not from here, you might not know that, you know. And so I think that's what one advantage we have as we've, we've gotten into the development game is really understanding the drivers and the tenant base and the mix and where the rooftops are headed, right, and all those things. To, to pick the ideal sites. I think that gives us a little leg up on, on maybe some of the guys that are coming in from other cities or asset classes or what have you. Tell me, you are you, meaning when you go into those sites and you're seeing that, what type of tenants today in this environment are most likely those guys that you're going to go after? You know, what's interesting is that- Because it's big. 
Yeah, Dallas-Fort Worth is such a, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we got a, a billion square feet of inventory. And, and we're also a very diverse economy versus, since we're talking Texas, you know, Austin is all tech, IT, tech, tech companies, Houston, oil and gas, all that stuff, right? Dallas is just so diverse from its economy in general. I wish I could tell you there's a specific one. Now, what is happening with the growth of e-commerce is 3PLs right now are accounting for uh, 20, about 25% of all you know, space being gobbled up nationally uh, right now for warehousing space. So 3PLs are, are certainly a big and a growing segment uh, because they're helping all the other people in the online world typically. Um, so, but, but, but it, it, it really, I wish I could tell you there's a particular tenant, but I, I would say what is interesting is the growth again, back to the manufacturing uh, world that's coming back. And that can be anything, you know, from, from little widgets that go into cars to food, you know, there's a guy on my, my, my team that did all the economic incentives for a 700,000 square foot soup manufacturing facility last year. They make soup, you know? Unbelievable. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's all over the board. And, and because of where Dallas-Fort Worth is located, the center of the country, the center of all the interstates that go north, south, east, and west, we're, we're just the logistics hub for everything, you know? Uh, Houston has almost our same amount of population and they're a port city and Houston only has 600 million square feet of, of inventory and we have a billion, you know, so That's incredible. That, that just shows you kind of why DFW makes sense from a logistical standpoint to get the products to your, to, to your end customers. You know what? It's incredible that what you said today um, that the industrial manufacturing side of it, the yes. logistical manufacturing side of things is boost, right. like there's a huge boost. In addition to the Amazon, you know, distribution yes. centers and all that stuff. And both need, like you said, large spaces. They all need large spaces. So you That's need right. to come and find those. That's very, very interesting. Um, yeah. What an environment. It's crazy. It's really insane. It, it, it's insane, you know, and, and, and you talk to everybody here in town, and, and even if you're an office broker or retail broker, it's not that bad here. Why? Because we are literally the catcher's mitt for all these corporate relocations that keep leaving all these overtaxed states, you know, and regulated right. states. I mean, California. That was my next question New York, to you, yeah. New Jersey. I mean, we... It, Every day I open up an email from, you know, the Dallas Business Journal, the Dallas Morning News, and it's, it, it, it literally is almost daily of some new company from California that's moving their headquarters to Dallas Fort Worth. You know, we, we have 400, almost 400 people a day move to Dallas Fort Worth. You know, that's, that's just, crazy. That's just net migration, you know, and then, and then you look at, all these companies that are moving here because they've, they've, they've had it. You know, I talked to a broker um, a couple months ago. Guy was broker in LA at the beginning of COVID. He just finally, him and his wife were like, and this is a guy who's been, 
15 years out there as a broker and you just said, you know what? I don't like where things are headed, but we're moving to Dallas. And he moved out here in that, in the year that he's been there here, he's had 10 friends from Southern California pick up their careers and move here. That's unbelievable to me. That is unbelievable. Do you know? And, and the main incentive you say, meaning that we all know yeah. the incentives everybody loves uh, weather. But you know what? L.A. has a beautiful weather. That's not an argument. Oh. You could say no, that no, somewhere no. from Canada or, New, or I don't know, upstate New right. York, you could say that. But right. not from California. They have a beautiful weather, even better weather right. than, than anyone else, because it's like the perfect 70 degrees. But right. but the policies and the taxation and all those things drive people to say, listen, um, I'm moving. I've had enough. You know, they, they, they finally had enough. I mean, all the taxing and, you know, I mean, gas now in Dallas is hovering around $3 a gallon. Well, it's $7 in California right now. You know, I mean, that's ridiculous. Just on gas alone, let's not, let's not talk about all the other ridiculous taxes that they're, that they're taking, you know, taking over there. And I, I think when you look at where Dallas is located, and I tell people this all the time, listen, Dallas-Fort Worth is not the most beautiful place in the, in the world. There's no two ways around it. I mean, we're in the middle of a prairie. We got some trees. We got some lakes. But, but it's nothing like Southern California. But guess what? In a three-hour plane ride, you can be in New York City or L.A. or anywhere, anywhere in North America. That's right. right? And, and go to Colorado or, or, or Los Angeles or Miami or whatever, being centrally located has its benefits where you can be anywhere in three hours, you know? And uh, if you're saving that much more by being over here, you know, uh, from a cost of living perspective, it makes a lot of sense. You know something you said before that you're at the, at the point in your business where you're looking at expansion. And you're looking at other places, other states, other cities, other areas. If you could tell us a little bit about which areas you're looking at and the, I would say the thoughts, the, I wouldn't call it struggles, but the thought process that is going into this expansion process, you know, because that's something that I'm I'm talking to a lot of companies today, me personally, myself out of the podcast. Uh, and this is something very interesting. What, what can you tell us about this? Well, as I kind of mentioned to you earlier, you know, it's it's mainly I'm focused, hyper focused, mainly in the Sun Belt states. You know, so right. the southern portion of the United States. I mean, that is where number one, we go back to you know, talk about DFW and the 400 people every day. Well, the same thing can be said about Florida, right? I mean, most California is exiting to Texas. There's a lot of Chicago is coming down to Texas and the Midwest, but a lot of the people on the East coast are going to Florida. You know, I mean, that's just always been the net migration there. A lot of people have vacation houses or second homes and, and such down in Florida. Well, you know, so where is the net migration going, right? Don't you want to build, whether you're building multifamily, retail, office, industrial, you want to go where the growth is, right? So Florida is, is obviously one of the big, big, big areas. Um, you know, I, I think there's, um, there's stuff out West, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bullish on Las Vegas as well as Reno because they're right next to California and not as regulated and, and overtaxed and all that. So a lot of, a lot of expansion is going into 
both the northern and southern areas of Nevada because you can still service Southern California and be, be out of all the uh, overtaxation and regulated world. Uh, but for instance, like I, I, mean, I know you spend a lot of time in New York. I would never go to New Jersey and try to develop industrial buildings. I don't want to spend four years of my life trying to get something entitled to, to be able to go take it to the market. You know, I can get that done instantaneously, you know, in Texas or really, you know, or some more of the, the, the states that have less regu regulations. I would, right, I would, because a lot of people are talking about this. What could take you sometimes up to a year could take you yes. a couple of weeks to a month to maybe three months in the worst case scenario in those, right. yeah, in different areas. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just from, from building permits to, to everything, you know, I mean, it's just so... It, it, I've done deals in 150 markets across the globe in my career. And listen, dealing in California and New Jersey, I just don't wish that on anyone. It's always difficult, it's, you know, from everything, you know, and, and, uh, uh, I hear you. Funny I, enough, I'm, meaning, I'm, I'm talking to people who do business there and they're successful, but yeah, I, I definitely, sure. I no, there's a lot of money yeah. and there's very successful people, but like if you're not, if you're not living and breathing that, I don't want anything to do. I don't yeah. want to have to learn, learn right, the game. Right. It's usually play. the other way around. People do business in New York or L.A. or right. New Jersey or those areas or Chicago, whatever. Right. Those guys do business also many times in Florida, in Texas, right. in Nashville. They go to those areas and they do business yeah. in, those, in those sections. Sure. So you're saying you're looking at the Sunbelt areas. Are you already are you already expanded? You have managed to to make an acquisition uh, in those areas, or are you still? Yeah, we're, we're we're still digging for sites in those markets. You know, we've uh, you know we uh, we're going to be looking you know in a few of these other markets, um, and uh, you know, and there's there's other options here within Texas as well. I think San Antonio is going to be a big market of of uh, added added growth because of all the Mexican manufacturing that we talked about earlier. And so, you know, that can be a pretty big distribution hub from, from there to get your products onto the, to the next area. And everybody knows kind of that whole corridor, Austin to San Antonio is just, it's blowing up like Dallas Fort Worth is, you know, so good net migration. Um, but yes, mainly, you know, Florida over to the Carolinas, you know, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky, um, you know, and then, and then out West to me is kind of Nevada. I feel like Phoenix right now is, is, is already, I'm already late to the game in Phoenix. Yeah. There's already too much construction. Maxed out. Yep. yep. Um, about like, I want to talk about the team aspect of things. Yeah. In every business, obviously that is growing. You have a team. If you could tell us a little bit about, the growth of the team, how you assembled the team around you and how is your business, uh, you know, to educate us a little bit about how to build a team, what type of team you have and where you're going with this and, and a few tips about that. That would be yeah. great. Thank you. So there's, you know, there's a successful developer that's, and you've probably heard of him, but there's a guy by the name of Trammell Crow that was based here in Dallas, Fort Worth. And, and, and Trammell Crow has a couple books out there. And he's one of the most successful developers, you know, in the history of the United States. Obviously started an industrial right here in Dallas and then, you know, built stuff everywhere. 
And um, one of the th- one of the quotes that I took from one of his books was surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Right. So I always I, I'm always looking to hire people who can compliment, add um, and maybe are higher thinkers than I am. I'm, I'm more of just. I guess a visionary. You know, I, I have the big ideas. You're the entrepreneur, of course. Yeah, yeah. And then I have other people around me that then put those plans into action because they they have all those other critical pieces that are, are needed to put together the puzzle. And so, you know, it, at first the firm just started out as me and my business partner who we've been working together on deals for, I think this is our 14th or 15th year, you know, working everything together. And then we started adding, you know, other brokers and then senior brokers. And then and then you're like, OK, well, we need to get in the development game. Well, you know, I, I brought in a guy that I've known for over 20 years and he spent seven or eight years working in Dubai for the Shah over there. And, you know, wow. built 60 billion worth of projects in Dubai. So, I mean, the guy clearly knows how to manage, you know, construction yeah, and and but he's always been a salary plus bonus type guy, and you know now I convinced him like, hey man, you need to jump in. Like we'll put you into these deals, and you know have a piece of the pie. And industrial's on fire, and I mean if you can build a two two hundred story building in Dubai, you can build a pretty simple warehouse. You know, <laughs> for sure, four, four walls. You know, and that's and that's and, a smart tip. That's a smart that's right. a smart move. And so, so, you know, I mean, to me, that's the whole deal is like, if you're going to grow a successful company, you got to, you got to find complimentary co- people that, that compliment you and add to you and push you. And, and, um, and, and, and to me, that's, that's the, the that's the most critical thing. Is, that's uh, the, for sure. That's the most important thing. You know, what I want to end with, you started talking about in the very, very beginning, you said, uh, your way to give back, you have a foundation. Tell us a little yeah, bit yeah. about that foundation and how you give back and help people. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for asking about that again. You know, it's, it's something that I'm real passionate about. And um, I'll tell you how it began is, um, so there's another very successful developer here in Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, Ross Perot. Uh, he owned a company called Hillwood. And, uh, a lot of people maybe internationally know Ross as he ran for president of the United States against George Bush and Bill Clinton way back in the day. Uh, probably cost the Republicans the uh, the White House then, but it is what it is. But Ross passed away about two and a half years ago, and he still went to the office every day up until he was 90 years old. And um, I was at their broker trip. I had done a 400,000 square foot deal with, with Hillwood earlier that year, and so I got invited to this little trip out the Broadmoor, out in uh, Colorado Springs, and Ross Procene Jr. got up on stage and talked about his dad for about 45 minutes and just all these incredible stories about his dad and impacting other people's lives. You know, whether it was just the janitor that worked in the building, you know, or going and, and saving those hostages out of Tehran, you know, back in the 70s, you know, um, from the United States. And, and, and you just... I left the, the dinner that night kind of reflecting internally and just going, man, 
I've created this great life for myself and my family, but I haven't done enough to help other people. And how am I going to do that? You know, how am I going to impact other people's lives? And so me and my partner sat down and we talked a little bit and we're like, listen, this is what we'll do. We'll, we'll start giving a percentage out of every single fee that we earn back to the foundation. And then, uh, we'll give them back to, to other foundations that, that we support. And so there was, there was one young man, uh, I, I followed his dad, uh, was a young man named, named Luke Siegel and, and Luke, uh, I'm now on the board of team Luke hope for the minds. And Luke was a young man who unfortunately was in a golf cart accident and had some severe brain trauma. And so, so Luke Aww. was, you know, he, he couldn't walk, he couldn't talk anymore. Um, and I just saw this dad's post on social media, going back to the social media thing again, uh, of him caring for this kid. And then he, then he, then he started his foundation and it just inspired me. And so, so Luke was one of the first foundations that we, we started supporting. And, and now we're, we're partying, uh, partnering with carry the load, which is a big veteran organization here in Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, to support college scholarships for former veterans that want to pursue careers in commercial real estate after they enlist. Uh, and then we support the Dallas Housing Crisis Center, you know, for, for the homeless. And, um, you, know, so you know, we, we've just, we've, we've created a environment at Paladin that, you know, if you ask the other brokers, what, what's Paladin's mantra or why are we in, you know, what are we about? People will say, well, we're in the business of impacting other people's lives, you know, and, and you, you, you very rarely would you ask a commercial real estate company, what are you in business for? And that would be the response, you know? And so that's what this, we're all about. You know, I, think, we, uh, I think this is incredible. This is incredible. You know, before you, we said our goodbyes, um, there's one aspect I forgot to ask you, and I'm very curious about this and that's the financing aspect of, yes. of industrial, especially in a Texas environment. Yep. What is your strategy when it comes to financing uh, debt and equity? How, how, meaning, you don't have to get into the details, but in terms of, let's say, um, uh, cost, uh, cost to value, you know, loan to value, yeah. whatever, uh, well, how much leverage you usually take, et cetera. Sure. And, yeah. Sure. No, that, that, that's an interesting question because we're, we're you know, now I, I mentioned too, we have our first two sites under contract currently, and we're, going through civil and architectural but this is how ferocious the market has gotten from the capital markets perspective is there, there's there's a couple of brokers in this town who all they do is focus on literally shopping the developments to the capital markets partners and in today's world in the industrial real estate all we have to do is entitle the sites and then put together architectural and civil and these capital partners will literally come in, close on the land, fund the whole project, and, 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 and we take a development fee, and they take us out of the deal at completion. And, and, and there's some upside in regards to that. But what, what's typically, they're, they're called, in today's world, they're called forwards. And um, so that's what we're going to be doing out of the get-go. And hopefully we do a few of those deals and then we maybe get more into the traditional JV type structures where, you know, we put five or 10% into the deal, you know, and then, you know, we, we pick our joint venture partner, but 
there is so much capital chasing industrial institutional grade uh, real estate right now. It's crazy. And uh, what, what about there's more money? It's, 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 crazy. it's crazy. But but the banking side of things, meaning when it comes to to debt, to the to the yep. debt side of the of the deal, not the equity. How yep. much the banks are willing to give today? from your experience to people going into acquisitions of industrial? You know, typically these guys want to see, you know, 20 to 25%, you know, but, but it's, 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 it's just interesting how much the capital markets have changed where on a traditional development structure. Yes. A year ago, we would, we would still have to go out and find our debt and kiss the note and all that. We don't even have to do that now. Wow. All we have to do is go put together the site, lay out the civil and the architectural, and provide them leasing assumptions, and those guys will go ultimately close on the land. Some of them have their own banking on, you know, in-house, Nuveen, for instance, and they they'll go kiss the note, do do the do the financing, and you know we just play developer fee and we participate in that upside of of what the cost of construction is versus what we can sell it on a cap rate basis. That's amazing. What it's an environment! Fun. The world of industrial is going insane. Texas baby, Texas baby doesn't get Texas, any better. Yeah. In Everything's Texas. bigger in Texas, right? It's incredible. It's just incredible how much you think, okay, you know, it's, it's a growing market. Okay, still a growing market. After five years, still a growing market. Five, yeah. Another five years are passing, still a growing market. Really yeah, crazy. Yeah. And, and yeah. every other environment around the world is causing Texas to grow and grow. So, uh, you know what? Before we set our goodbyes, if you could tell everybody, you guys obviously can see the links above, below, and how to reach out to Conrad. Yeah. Uh, Conrad, if you could tell us how people can find you, whether they're brokers, investors, whatever you want to tell us, please. Absolutely. You know, our website is Paladin, P-A-L-A-D-I-N, and then hyphen partners.com. The most, the best way to though to find me is honestly, if you're not on LinkedIn, you need to be on LinkedIn. Got and, and And get on, get on LinkedIn. Uh, my name's, it's just me, Conrad Matson. You, you'll find me. Um, and, and that's, that's the best way to, to track me, uh, find what I'm all about, and, uh, and really follow me. Uh, but I'd love, to, I'd love to meet anybody who's listening to this podcast and, and share ideas and best practices and, and see how we can help one another. Beautiful. Conrad, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate your time. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. I appreciate the time, buddy. Thanks for reaching out and, and look forward to staying in touch. No problem. And you guys, take care, and I'll see you in the next show. Hey, guys, thanks for joining me in this CRE Shark Eye Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And go subscribe, download, do whatever you guys need to do, and I'll see you in the next episode. Take care of yourselves.